What is up, everyone? Welcome back to TMT Time. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. For the second time, I am in person in Arlen Porter's DC office, which means no Zoom recording because I'm staring my guests in the face. And my guest is a repeat guest, and that is Greg Lauer from our policy group. Greg, welcome back to the podcast. Excited to be here, Evan. Thank you so much. We're so excited to see each other in person with masks. We're very COVID safe here on TMT time. We're in the new Arnold Porter DC podcast room. Our on-air light is on, and Greg is here to talk about something that is on everyone's mind, which is the chip shortage. So, Greg, what is that? What do we talk? Where should we start, Evan? Semiconductors, something that most people probably have heard of up until a few months ago. Many people hadn't really spent a lot of time thinking about where semiconductors go and what they are useful for. At the end of the day, these are chips that are in almost every consumer electronic product on the market today. So they are ubiquitous. The only problem is they're not necessarily all manufactured in the United States or in trusted areas of the world where we have an consistent global access to those products that everybody needs. During the pandemic, We got into a situation where because of the bottlenecks in manufacturing and the shutdown that occurred in many parts of the world, we now have a, we still continue to have a lag when it comes to supply chain manufacturing for these critical components of our economy. So we are doing everything we can in the United States government to try to incentivize more manufacturing of semiconductor chips in the United States. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. And we are not the only ones doing this in the United States. This is a global phenomenon happening all over the world where countries that manufacture this or that are home to corporations that manufacture this critical product are also thinking about how they can incentivize corporations to do more manufacturing uh, where they live. So this is the, uh, when I want to go buy a car, I can't now because there's no chips, right? This is what we're talking about? Indeed. And that the auto sector is probably the the one area that has caused the most attention, uh, primarily because there are what we call legacy chips for this industry that were once available on a just-in-time basis that are no longer available on a just-in-time basis. So when you want to go buy a Lexus, for example, or a Toyota, uh, you're not necessarily going to be able to go, walk, walk up to the lot and get the exact make and model that you always would like to do in the in years past. And if you're in the, even more so, if you're in the market for a used car, it's even worse because there's just not enough product available, and this has caused significant delays in consumer expectations across the country and indeed across the world. I like how you went to Toyota and Lexus because you know I love that manufacturer. That was definitely intentional. Yeah, and you know that I I love the new Toyota Tundra that's coming out. The hybrid here in March is going to be pretty awesome. But in any event, let's talk about what you do, Greg, which is a policy lobbyist. Sort of, You're in and up and down the hill all the time. What's been done here in the U.S. on on the let's get more chips, let's get more semiconductors into our products? So thanks, Evan. One of the things that our our group does, we represent clients in both an advocacy space and classic legal analysis. So we do soup to nuts advocacy in federal agencies and before Congress and the White House and everything in between. And then we help folks understand the landscape here of in 
help people identify uh, risks and challenges and opportunities and, and, pro and generally just try to problem solve as best we can. We started down this road addressing clients' interest in the semiconductor shortage many, about two years ago. It wasn't the pandemic that started at all. It really began before then. And we started to think through with clients, how can we help incentivize the United States government to help manufacturers that are already doing business in the United States and manufacturing in the United States do more of it, particularly as supply chain risks in other countries that are not necessarily home to trusted manufacturers continue to grow in, in size and scope and influence around the world. So this is something that the government started to take a close look at, as I said, before the pandemic started, but it, because of the pandemic and the global supply chain shortage that has, start, that has really uh, become endemic afterwards, there's much more of a sharp focus on it today than there ever was before. So, and we have some congressional activity on this front so far, don't we? I would call it a whole of government approach, actually, Evan. And it's definitely been, I think it started on the Hill. There are a number of man, uh, members of Congress, senators that represent manufacturers in this space that have been paying attention to it for some time. But this has become, uh, I would call it religion within the United States government from the executive branch on down, that we as a, as a team need to be doing more to incentivize manufacturing in this critical industry in the United States. And so th this, like, call it, whole group uh, agreement, I guess, on both sides of the aisle, right? It's just to get more chips on on the shores of the U.S. so we don't have these products that can't be manufactured and can't be made. So have there been any acts passed in, in Congress, anything signed by Biden? What's going on on the Hill? I would say that the first major initiative started last year with the introduction of what's called the CHIPS Act which does exactly what we discussed before. It try, the legislation intends to incentivize manufacturing in the United States in this industry. Originally, the legislation in, in, uh, addressed issues related to tax incentives and then federal funding for a number of initiatives, again, to help incentivize manufacturing through the Department of Commerce, the Department of Defense, and on a whole of government basis. And what I would say the major initiative that actually passed into law, the CHIPS Act, road as part of an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act for an FY 2021, which became law at the, at the I believe it was the early January this year, which is a little bit, a little bit different than in years past, but there was no actual money passed as part of the CHIPS Act. So while you have all of the bones in place to incentivize, author, authorize the Department of Commerce to stand up a grant program to incentivize manufacturing, there's no actual money behind it. That was more or less a compromise approach from defense appropriators and the authorizers and the folks who introduced the CHIPS Act and the co-sponsors of the CHIPS Act last year. So as we turned the page from 2020 to 2021, those that are interested in this issue, and there are a number of them on both sides of the aisle, started to work with the new administration to figure out how that money could get delivered. So I, re I really appreciate the creative name chips act so uh nobody knows what what's actually going on there chips act c-h-i-p-s do we even know what that stands for or is it just chips it actually does stand for something but as i sit here in front of you without my computer and i can't do it by memory i can't tell you exactly yes. what it is stumped him 
stump demo. Doesn't right. take much. We're going to call the CHIPS Act. So the CHIPS Act is an act, basically a name only with no money, no funding, so nobody can do anything with it. How is Congress or the executive branch actually going to get the CHIPS Act funded so something can happen and we can get more products here because you know Americans like to buy stuff. And if we can't buy stuff, we're all going mad. There's a couple of different ways this could this could actually get across the finish line with money into the pockets of the folks that work at the Department of Commerce and the Department of Defense. Through the United States Innovation and Competitiveness Act called USICA, which was a big uh, supply chain, security, research and development, and uh, foreign policy legislation to, com- to keep the United States competitive with China and other emerging economies around the world, which was a, a pet initiative of the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, in the Senate. The, the Senate actually passed a bill, very large piece of legislation involving a lot of different inputs and committees across the Senate in June. As part of that legislation, there was $52 billion devoted towards actually funding the CHIPS Act, which had not happened before and remains pending now in the House. There's starting to be some inklings of uh, operations in the House across a number of committees to try to maybe get that funding across the finish line. There isn't necessarily a clear path to get there between, between now and the end of the year, but the intent is to get there. That's just one way to get this done. Another way to get it done, which isn't necessarily going to uh, materialize overnight, would be through funding in the FY 2022 National Defense Authorization Act. There is no legislative language yet that I'm aware of that would accomplish that goal, but if that is something that the appropriators and the folks that matter in the space decided to get together to do, they could potentially get, get an agreement in place to provide that funding through that mechanism. Of course, this is Washington, and funding could actually get a, get accomplished through the appropriations process, which is broken, doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, and will be subject to another year-end omnibus appropriations bill, most likely, that gets across the finish line just before Christmas, if I was to rub a crystal ball. All right. Well, uh, as the non-Washingtonian in the room, all this sounds ridiculous to me uh, and more like uh, infighting amongst the parties so literally nothing gets done in washington i think you've just uh, outlined the the reason why most americans are are fed up and disgruntled about the fact that nothing gets passed and nothing gets done the chips act is not part of this sort of infrastructure hang up on on the hill is it it is not, but I will say there is another, what I will call it a non-CHIPS Act method to potentially get to where we need to go to incentivize semiconductor manufacturing in the United States. And this has really flown under the radar screen. Uh, it's a component that I will describe as a supply chain manufacturing and grant incentive program that is in the amount of $10 billion that was tucked into the Energy and Commerce Committee's package for reconcil- budget reconciliation instructions. What is the budget reconciliation instruction, you might ask, Evan, if, if I may ask. I'm going to tee that question up myself. Yeah, because I, I don't know what that is, so let's, let's explain that to our listeners. What we have in front of us right now is a big $3.5 trillion package that is working its way through the House of Representatives styled as a budget resolution. It is Because it is a reconciliation bill, which is a bit of an arcane parliamentary procedure, that this is a, a tactic that would allow the House and the Senate to 
effectively do a tax and spend budget uh, budget legislation without getting a super majority in the Senate because a budget reconciliation only requires a simple majority vote in the Senate. It has become the last train out of the station, so to speak, this year for major spending bill for tax spend and uh, other kind of budget purposes. Through this process, there are quite a few items on the president's uh, bucket list of things that he wants to get accomplished that have absolutely nothing to do with semiconductor technology and manufacturing. It has to do with uh, anything from his social, social uh, education, environmental climate change initiatives involving every, almost every committee in Congress. So a lot is riding on the big picture package, but there is a very small component of that. It's only small in DC speak, right? When we're talking about a $3.5 trillion <laughs> gonna, package. Say, so only $100 billion we're going to commit. <laughs> but it, but as, a, as I said, the Energy and Commerce Committee passed what's called the Supply Chain Resiliency Manufacturing Incentive uh, Program, tucked into their uh, almost half a trillion dollar package that is designed to incentivize manufacturing in critical industries and key technologies of concern, which could potentially include semiconductors, right? Um, and that would be broader than just semiconductors, but it could also include semiconductor technology. So what you see is really every element of the government and wherever Congress can, trying to think about ways to incentivize manufacturing in the United States in critical industries, key technologies of concern like semiconductor. Yeah, because I mean, God forbid Americans can't buy stuff for Christmas. I've been reading in the news that we're going to have a present shortage, present meaning Christmas presents under the tree, and we're not going to be able to buy them in, in December because the chip shortage is coming out. And, you know, if people aren't able to wake up Christmas morning and have presents. Or Hanukkah. Yeah, or Hanukkah or Ramadan or any of the other where a non-denominational uh, podcast here at TMT Time. If we can't wake up and have presents, then we may vote out our congresswomen and congressmen uh, for the next election in 2022. So I, I would think both sides of the aisle are, are rushing to get something down, you know, funded and signed so that all of us can go out and, you know, blow money on stuff at, at Best Buy. I did read Best Buy now started this new program where if you sign up early and you pay a fee to join their, you know, quote, membership club or whatever they're calling it, you can buy your presents early. So you get out in front of this. Uh, and, you know, all of us really need new iPhones and iPads and MacBooks and everything that Microsoft puts out to. Again, we're also a non-denominational uh, technology-based podcast here at TMT Time. We all need to buy things, Greg. So what are you doing to help us, the rest of us and our listeners, be able to buy things? Well, I would say that the organized policymaking community here in D.C., including folks like me and uh, more importantly, the, the legislators and thought leaders and policymakers on the Hill, are really doing everything they can, in my estimation, to try to get this across the finish line. It's not just about buying uh, receivers to make your home theater work the way it should and so that you have awesome sound and awesome video effects. It really is designed to make sure that every element of our economy works the way it should because semiconductors go into so many different things. And until we have a reliable source of that manufacturing here that we have control over to some extent with a trusted supply channel, we're not necessarily as an economy and a people really gonna have a lot of control over this process. 
So that's really why I think the government on a bipartisan basis from the president on down has committed to, to get this across the finish line in some capacity. I can't tell you today it's going to get across the, the goal line. I'm mixing metaphors here to an extent before December uh, closes out. But I'm relatively sure that this is something that's going to get done, this Congress, and hopefully before we wrap up Q1 of 2022. All right. So if you had to bet your kids, Hanukkah, Christmas, Ramadan, et cetera, presents on a prediction on whether we're actually going to get a CHIPS Act funding by Christmas 2021, what side do you come down on? I'd, I'd say it's a coin flip right now at best in terms of the percentage of uh, the like the likelihood of success of that getting done. Uh, the more time that we spend on the budget reconciliation process and infighting on the Democratic side uh, between how how big that package should be, should it be 3.5 trillion, should it be 1.5 trillion, and all of the deal making to get done in between that, the longer that stretches out the harder it is for folks to start to think about more systemically, how do we get to the other also important things, not necessarily must important, must pass initiatives like the CHIPS Act so we can get our economy rolling again the way we want it to be. So uh, I want to ask you something about you, you just said, because the rest of us that, again, are not in Washington full time read in the news. Uh, 3.5 trillion, 2.5 trillion, 1.5 trillion, and everybody throws up their hands and says, what are we, this is fake money anyways, what are we talking about? Why is there such a big discrepancy in, in the trillions of what we're spending? And if you were to make a prediction on what the trillion dollar number that actually gets passed is, what would it be? There's a lot of questions into that multi-question question. That's what I, that's what I do here on TMT. So time. I'm, I'm going to break it down. Drop it all on you, and then you have to go. I'll, I'll take it into component parts. So the first question you asked is, you know, how do we get to where we are in terms of throwing around trillion dollars like it's nothing, like it's monopoly money, right? Ultimately, you have one group of members, senators in particular, although there are progressive Democrats in the House, that would have preferred to spend $6 billion dollars on a package of climate, manufacturing, uh, social services, education-related initiatives that Democrats in Congress have been fighting for for years. And with Democrats controlling every lever of power in the executive branch and the legislative branch, the opportunity is there to get it done. Could you get $6 billion? Probably not. The reason they, why- I think you mean the $6 trillion, right? $6 trillion, excuse me, yes. Yeah, well. It's, trillion more zeros indeed and uh, the, those are the fo those more progressive members pushing for the most expansive elements of president biden's plans would like to do this while they have the ability to get it done the president himself i think has been a little bit more quote unquote realistic in pushing for a top line number that is in the middle of what some folks might say is doable when you are looking at zero or six the House landed on 3.5. I shouldn't say the House because there was a joint budget resolution that's responsible for all of this. It's the Senate and a House product. So we have a $3.5 trillion package that's going through the House. There are two senators in particular, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema, that do not believe that that is an appropriate amount of money to spend. They have asked their colleagues in the House to consider, and I'm being candid, uh, candid or but also a little bit nice in how they've uh, characterized that number, uh, to shoot for a lower amount. 
And that number is generally known as 1.5 trillion. And so in the middle between 1.5 and 3.5, there has to be a place where Democrats in Congress can feel comfortable so that all of their priorities can get met and that the president gets a victory that he desperately needs with his poll numbers sitting where they are heading into a midterm election where the prospects, particularly in the House, do not look particularly good for Democrats. All right. So the, the number is like made up somewhere between 1.5 trillion. And so how did things get shaved off? Hopefully it's not the semiconductor or the chip act, but it's some of the more progressive policies that have been added into the large number that sort of gets shaved off. And there's like a, a give and take, I guess, among members of Congress for what some people really want and some people may want and to add into the next bill. Where do you think it comes out? So I think what you're going to end up here with is a hammer and a scalpel approach. And they'll be deployed in, I hate to say equal measures, but you are going to have some programs that are potentially valuable and that are supported by a lot of different stakeholders that may not make it across the finish line. Uh, while other programs that are very important to Democratic leadership and the president and others and key stakeholders that they care about that may not uh, see a haircut at all. More than likely, most things that are included in the bill, the, the line items, will see some kind of haircut. Uh, there are a number of ways you can get there. You can do more taxation and a little to, to make sure that you don't have to cut that kind of number. I don't think that Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema are going to be excited about that approach. Another tactical measure that you could achieve some savings is to instead of shooting for a 10-year budget horizon, you might be looking at a shorter budget horizon for some of those programs. Maybe all of them, maybe some of them. There's a lot of different levers you, you what, can What pull. does that mean, 10-year versus a shorter horizon? Just when the, the programs take into effect? Yes, the because we're talking about a budget bill that Congress generally operates on a 10-year budget outlook. So the experts at the Congressional Budget Office, the nonpartisan office that's responsible for scoring legislation that spends in taxes, they estimate things on a 10-year horizon. So if you peg a number lower than 10 years, you're going to start to see some significant savings. Got it. All right. Well, this has been very educational for me, actually, and hopefully for our listeners, because I, I I mean, I'm I'm obviously a voracious reader of the news, and when big numbers get thrown out there, I kind of just throw up my hands and, like everybody else, say, why aren't you just agreeing on certain things? So this has been super helpful, Greg. Uh, we are at the end of October, or close to it here on TMT Time, so of course that means that all we're thinking about is Halloween, uh, and so I, I want to ask you, what are you going for, going as for Halloween this year? What are your kids going as? And you know, we're at two years into the pandemic, are you going to go trick-or-treating? We are going to be going trick-or-treating to some extent. The family hasn't landed on what exactly that looks like yet. We will be out there. I, I think I've come up with my costume, although I have not done the big reveal at home. My youngest son, who has just turned eight years old as of yesterday, will be going as a waffle. His older brother, who also coincidentally turned 10 yesterday, oh, happy I birthday. believe will be going as a ghoul, as he did two years ago. Okay. How do you get to a waffle? Honestly, the kid loves breakfast. In my house, I am the god of breakfast, Evan. <laughs> I don't do a lot of things well in the kitchen, but breakfast is one of them. 
And what do they want on their first, their birthday morning? They they got waffles. You got a Scrat- waffle maker? They got a waffle maker. It's a scratch made scratch. recipe. Ooh, wow. Shout out to the pioneer woman. Great recipe. Yep. All right. I, I love the the drop on the TMT time. See, we're dropping serious nuggets here. So pioneer woman, scratch waffle maker. What kind of waffle maker do you have? It is not Belgian. It is, oh. a, it, and I believe the make, I don't know the model number, but I believe it's a Cuisinart. Is it like one of those giant things where you pour it in and you smash it down and then you open it and it's delicious? Pretty much. That's how waffle makers, that's yeah. how they operate. W- what about, what about like syrup toppings where your kids go there? So it depends on what mom is allowing that day. Oh yeah. School day, generally we're going to, we're going to, we're going to rock with syrup and probably that's the extent of it. On the weekends, you know, maybe we can get into something a little bit more exotic and that's uh, powdered sugar, maybe a fruit, uh, kind of syrupy kind of sauce goodness that, that I like to whip up. Not as well as my wife would, of course. So I, I am uh, gluten free. So I have, I use this mix called King Arthur for our waffles. I have a giant waffle maker. My kids just like to dump powdered sugar on top of the waffles and it gets all over the floor and the dogs eat it up and it gets all over their clothes and they have to change. Uh, during the week, I can't remember the last time we did waffles during the week. So w- with, with your waffle costume, are you is that homemade too or is that like an Amazon buy? I think, that's, I think that's definitely coming off an internet retailer of some kind. Maybe not Amazon, maybe Amazon, I'm not entirely sure. Now my, I think I, I think I'm leaning towards a Ghostbuster getup at, no, at this, I like the at this point. In time. I think they're rebooting the Ghostbusters. Haven't, like a, haven't they already done? They it? have, but they're going to do a, a reboot of the reboot. I think with uh, Vankman's nephew or cousin or something, and it's like in the middle of New Mexico. I read an article about it. I got excited. Well, before before we ra- go down that rabbit hole, I, I had this image in my mind, and I got to I got to check this with you, Evan. As you're going through your your waffle making. Uh, escapades on the weekend with your kids and there's powdered sugar going all over the place maybe it's on the floor how does it get into your hair at for the listeners at home evan's hair is out of control it's gotten a little too long i think he's gotten he's gotten a little bit i think greg may be losing his hair and there may be a tinge of jealousy he's not necessarily wrong but how does that work does it does it stay in the hair? Does it get out of yeah, the hair? What's going it, on with it, that? I got to tell you, the the COVID hair that I am currently rocking is a problem in in every way. Honestly, it gets tangled, it gets tied up, it looks horrible. People call me hippie. I don't get taken seriously, and yes, I do get powdered sugar in the hair. I get a lot of stuff in the hair, and then it, I have to take an extra long shower to get it out. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem. That might be a good place to wrap things up. Uh, Wait, is- but I got one more question on the <laughs> waffle costume before we wrap it up. Is your son gonna like make him fashion himself a holster and carry bottles of syrup with him or other associated toppings to snack on while trick or treating? I can guarantee you that that's probably not far from his mind. Of course, this is a child who, as part of his birthday wish list, and it was fulfilled, he decided to to search out a tactical spy gear kit to run around the house with the night vision scope, infrared recording device and uh this is the kind of child we're talking about here evan so yes sounds awesome but i mean look that's a good way of wrapping it up because those products some of them may have either required semiconductors to to manufacture or perhaps in have them in the if they're an advanced set of night vision goggles may have them in there so greg is here to help us figure out when the 
CHIPS Act is going to get passed as well as advice on the Halloween costumes and, and making it happen for our clients and for the rest of Americans who really need to buy things like the spy care. I'm here to help. All right, Greg, thanks for coming back on TMT Time. We will catch up with you later. Thanks, Evan.